Hello, and welcome to the show Gold Squadron Gays. It's the podcast where two Star Wars-loving gays break down each episode of their favorite Star Wars TV shows, while also being gay as hell. I'm your host, Bradley Brower. I'm your other host, Charles Rogers. And how does it feel, Bradley, to, to not have to wake up Wednesday morning and watch a new episode of TV? It feels pretty great, actually, because then I don't have to wake up an extra hour early for work every single day just so I can watch a stupid sci-fi show that I love so much. <laughs> I mean, you're I, I have to stay up if I want to watch it. That's, that's what's getting me. I'm like, do I want to stay up and be exhausted tomorrow? Right. Or do I want to not stay up? and potentially have Twitter or TikTok or something spoil the episode for me. Decisions, decisions. This week I don't have to worry about because everybody who's posting comic panels 10 o'clock at night on Tuesday, by the way, I don't know how y'all are getting these comics at 10 o'clock at night (laughs) on Tuesday because mine are never on the app until the next morning. They will always blur the comics out. Mm. For whatever reason, the people who read comics and post about them on Twitter always blur the image out so I never have to worry about it being spoiled. The most that goes on is my brain is, oh, Dr. Afrin number 30 came out today. I should go read that. I should, yeah, just a reminder. I, I don't have to I don't have to worry about that with comics. TV shows? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I'm delighted to not have to worry about this for a while. Though we're not going without new Star Wars because Thursday Jedi Survivor comes out. Hmm, okay. Well, I don't have a PC nor a PlayStation, so I can't actually play that game. And you you haven't even played Fallen Order, I don't I think. S- still to this day have not played Fallen order because uh, the people at nintendo are cowards and they refuse to port it to the switch because i i have a theory that they're waiting for the next generation console and then they'll port it yeah it's weird what actually comes over to switch ea doesn't do their games over to switch is the thing they don't do a lot of their games over to switch i think it's because switch doesn't have like a solid built-in microtransaction ecosystem and you have to remember fallen order is weird like super weird for 20 when did this game come out like when he 2019 something like that right hang on this is the thing charles didn't research let me google it really fast so jedi fallen order came out in 2019 and if you remember 2019 this was still during the era of everything must be a live service everything must have microtransactions which is why it was super weird that jedi fallen order was a single player everything is included in the game game and it didn't like sell cosmetics you could get the deluxe edition but it wasn't a live service like you got what you paid for and that's why like it blew up partially the way it did because people are like oh my god it's an actual single player game that i can play uh i think the reason that you don't have a switch version is because ea at the time was avoiding the switch because the switch didn't make it easy to charge for microtransactions and ea just wanted all of your money uh-huh. so no switch port for you because they can't make money off of it although That's i was i was in the store i just finished breath of the wild i finished it like earlier this week oh, nice. um or like last week i think i tweeted about it on our like official twitter or something because i mentioned it in an episode and uh i was at the store i was shopping for new switch games and seeing which one i'm gonna buy next uh and i did see that they ported skyrim to the switch mm-hmm. and i was like a fucking course they ported skyrim to the switch yeah i've actually I, I bought it because i was like i've heard about it and i was like oh i feel like i never played it because i thought it was just the uh first person view but i didn't realize you could change it to like a zoomed out so you can actually see the character 
and stuff. I was like, oh, I I could actually get behind this because I don't like the the shooting style of games where it's like first person view. Like I can't right. stand any of those games. Like they to me, it is the most non fulfilling experience ever in a game because you can't actually see your character do anything. I hate that. And so when they did that, I was like, oh, I can just see my cat person running around the. <laughs> of fucking, course you, know, you played like, a Khajiit. Of course you played a Khajiit. Oh well, I'm not gonna play a fucking human. That they look like, ugly I'm, as shit. Like I'm also not gonna judge because it was that or a lizard person. So I was like, whatever. The Argonians, yeah. I don't know a lot about Elder Scrolls lore because I'm like, I played kind of through Skyrim-ish. Like I did a lot <laughs> oh, of the I mean, side quests. I played and stuff it for like three minutes and then I gave up because yeah. it's too hard of a game. But you know, that's a different story. <laughs> that sounds like exactly the type of thing you would do. Right. Oh my god. Uh one of these days, one of these days I'm gonna bribe you or bully you in something into trying out Dragon Age Origins fucking 20 year old RPG system combat oh system. God. I honestly You're not can't gonna make it through the origin. That would be so funny to me. How far did you end up getting in, in Knights of the Old Republic? About three minutes. So I got up until the point, I think I think it's the part where you get to like a Jedi temple or something and I was like, this is stupid. I can't play this game anymore. You made it significantly more than three minutes. Okay, you would have well, had to make it through all of Terrace. Oh, before... no, no, no. I'm thinking of uh, Knights Academy. Jedi Knight. Uh, Jedi Academy. Uh, Jedi Academy or something like that. Okay. I played that for a little bit longer than I played Knights of the Old Republic. The Knights of the Old Republic, I didn't even make it off the ship in the tutorial. Wow. Because it was like so annoying. <sighs> Bradley is the reason that Let's Plays exist. <laughs> wow, wow, I'm in shock. Yeah, you would have you would have had to make it off of the ship and through the planet, and then yeah, the planet no. gets bombed, yeah, and no. then you go to the Jedi Temple. Yeah, I didn't, on didn't even make it that far. No, I got to Coruscant or something. Ter- Terrace. It looks like Coruscant, uh, but the okay. planet is called Terrace. That's what. That's as far as I got. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> one of these one of these days we'll figure out a vector for for Bradley to play Knights of the Old Republic. Uh, but until then, speaking of planets that were bombed, and I set this segue up like four minutes ago. Oh, did you? Okay. I knew I was going to move us this direction. Uh, speaking of planets that were bombed, I don't think we we really had any news this week. So we're also recording this nine days in advance. If that big thing that happened three days before this episode came out, we didn't talk about that because we, we can't see the future. I guess we'll just head on straight into the episode. Bradley, you know, takes into the... Actually, no, I have two points before we go in. Okay. I have a small point, another thing we fucked up, but a thing that we didn't bring up last time because Aaron was on, and I feel like I want to bring up, and then a, a bigger thing that I, I put a pen in a note, and now I want to come back to that note. So small thing is, remember how we joked about Cara Dune not being there anymore? You know who else is suspiciously missing from season three of The Mandalorian? Who we were the only ones to accurately predict would not be showing up again? Who was that? The Mythal has just disappeared. Ah. Uh, the Mythal is gone. What is it called? The Mythal... Mythal? Mithril? No. Mithril. Mithril. I there wrote down Mythal because a Dragon Age. Uh, Mythal okay. is a, a Dragon Age character. Yeah, the Mithril's gone. Yeah. Little... Our blue assistant is officially yep. not an assistant anymore. <laughs> He's <laughs> He's gone. been replaced. He's gone. He's replaced with a droid, which is very funny. I do actually like that. I like... My headcanon for that is going to be that he was so bad at 
his job that grief cargo was like okay dude like i just got to get a droid up in here like this guy just isn't good at what he does i and he's just too scared all the time i just need somebody who like is gonna put in the work and this droid does the work i have a sneaking suspicion that early on in the writing of these scripts the droid was supposed to be the myth mithril mithril yeah. i don't i don't remember specifically what it is see now mithril doesn't sound right to me i know well he doesn't even have playing. a name which is so sad for that character i mean aside from all the you know the stuff about the actor but like the the character yeah, doesn't the have mithril. a fucking name yeah the so. character doesn't have a name it's just the mithril i'm gonna call him ted ted okay well <laughs> ted i have a sneaking suspicion ted was supposed to be the droid i think so the droid kind of has similar personality right to ted uh but when all that stuff came out about the actor they were just like uh we're gonna replace yeah. it with a droid let's do it so i just want to point out we were right uh about the mithril not being there second bigger thing so I had set a lot of my notes aside about the armorer and the relationship of the Children of the Watch with everybody else because I wanted to see where the season finale was going. And so I sort of have now a reinterpretation of the scene where Den brings in the uh, the bit of Mandalore, the mm. like chunk of the Mandalore. little chunk of glass or something, yeah. So they've talked, they talk in the recap, I'm getting these from the recap, but they talk in the recap about how, you know, Den mentions to Bo-Katan in season two that there's only one way. Armor talking about Bo-Katan Kryze specifically says that she and her family lost sight of the way. So I do genuinely believe going into this season that children of the Watt very seriously actually believe that they were the only way. That prior to this season starting, that's how they act. And that's why they have that attitude in the first two and a half seasons of you cannot break any rules whatsoever. You have to follow things exactly right. And I also think that to an extent they are using, it's weird because they're using tactics that are very cult-like, right. but they're using them as survival strategy mm. to try to keep their particular, what should just be a, a small religious group, keeping the entire people alive. So we're going to see as this progresses through the season but i genuinely believe that when den shows up and is like hey somebody's been to the planet's surface and not died maybe it's not cursed this has never occurred to the armor before and so when she's like okay yeah you can go down there i think she's thinking best case scenario this place is not actually cursed right we can go back there worst case scenario den died right which that <laughs> sucks he, but he was an apostate he's an apostate so. So it doesn't matter. Yeah, it, 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 I'll be sad, but no great loss. So I think that's what's going on in this scene. Now that I know the direction the armor is going to go. Yeah, is it? It's I think from from my perspective, we'll analyze it through the season. They almost kind of became their splinter religious group that kind of became a cult out of necessity. And this season is also walking back some of the things we'll get into it when we get into episode four, how this season is walking back some of the stuff that made it seem super cult like in the first two and a half seasons, particularly the inducting of children in, when exactly children get inducted into the Children of the Watch, and when they become apprentices. Uh, but we'll get there, we'll get there when we get there. That's my new read on the armor scene, okay. is she genuinely didn't believe, she genuinely thought you couldn't go back to Mandalore. And whether I, or not she yeah. actually believed it was cursed, who knows, but she definitely thought you couldn't go back. Yeah, we'll talk about it in the second section, because Bo-Katan has a similar thought process, so. Yes, which is very interesting that Bo-Katan and the armorer kind of arrive at the same conclusions. Right. Like, 
just from different points of view. But I think because the armor uses both of them arrive at the same at, at the same conclusion, which is basically I have to do X thing to keep our people alive, and they have different different definitions of what our people are. Armorer looks at what happens and says I have to use religion to keep our people together. Bo-Katan is using politics right. and mythology and like the political structure to keep people together with the dark saber and building her fleet, all of that. So it's it'll be interesting where they go this season, but that's my new read on the armorer scene. Well, then let's get into the Mandalorian season three, episode two, where the Mandalorian and Grogu explore the ruins of a destroyed planet. Charles, what is one thing you liked about this episode, and one thing you did not? Uh the one thing I liked about this episode was obviously Pelinoto. Uh, obviously, obviously, <laughs> obviously, Pelinoto was the best thing. The in this only episode. good thing about Star Wars at the moment is Pelinoto. <laughs> the the best thing about Star Wars is Pelimoto. Every time she shows up, I'm like, Every yes. Uh, they're going to go hand in hand. One thing I really liked was Pelimoto. Um, I really liked that she showed up. She only has this one scene in the season. Spoiler alert. Really loved it. Loved seeing her. Here's what sort of irked me, though. Uh, because this scene kind of throws a do. It's, it was going to be one of my notes, but I am actually going to, to just say it up here. Where is Boba Fett? Mm, yeah. Because this scene really highlights for me the fact that the show has basically one line acknowledging the Book of Boba Fett. But other than that, Book of Boba Fett never gets brought up. Like the, what is what is the character's name? The Major Domo doesn't show up. Yeah. Uh, he could have shown up in this scene. Uh, Pelimoto references Boba Fett, but we have no indication that Boba Fett is around other than the one mention of his name. Spoilers for the finale, he doesn't show up in the finale. It's just like, other than saying, yeah, Boba Fett's here and ruling Tatooine now, no indication whatsoever of where Boba Fett is, and we don't even really see any like visual changes to Tatooine no. because Boba Fett is around now. Because they're in Moss Isley, I think, is where Pelimoto is based. So yeah, no, no Boba Fett. Um, I would have liked to have seen some more, at least in this early section, Book of Boba Fett references. There's another thing that could have been referenced and wasn't, but we'll get to her a little bit later in the episode. And my complicated feelings on on that. Bradley, what about you? One thing you liked and one thing you didn't. I definitely like how this episode one featured Pelimoto. Uh, I'll be at a brief scene, but there's just something about Amy Sedaris in Star Wars, how she has no idea what anything in Star Wars is, or like she knows nothing about Star Wars. They just give her like a basic script. And I feel like she improvs like the whole entire thing. Like, I really don't think she knows anything other than like, they give her key words to say, like, they're like, say Jawa, say this, like, and so she'll be able to say all the stuff to make the story make sense. But then other than that, she's just riffing. And I, I feel I like badly so want to know right. how much she's riffing i really how want much to know. of this is the script how much of this is neil flynn says something funny have you ever watched scrubs i've never seen that no you've never seen scrubs do you know the basic premise of scrubs i do okay you know the janitor character yes okay so neil flynn who plays the janitor on scrubs so fucking funny that a lot of the times the script literally would not write lines of dialogue for him to say uh, they would just say and then neil flynn says something funny got it i feel like that's exactly what happened and so he would come up just with things like i don't believe in the moon i think it's the back of the sun and he would just say <laughs> these things on on set yeah. on camera and the reaction from the other actors is genuine because he just made that up absolutely. i feel like pelimoto is the same way absolutely i know that would not surprise for sure. me but one thing i did not like and i kind of brought this up in our last episode is that this just feels like a continuation of the first episode this entire storyline honestly it just feels like it needed to be a slightly 
long, either a slightly longer premiere episode or a two part premiere, because it just there's something about the storyline going back to Bo-Katan and like then actually going to the mines. Like it just all felt like it needed to be one big premiere. And that's the one thing I feel like it suffers in this case is that little bit of we could have just used a little bit more. Yep. I fully agree with that. And I I also yeah, I, I can see, though, why they wouldn't have wanted to make it only seven weeks because they want the attention. Of course. We begin with Pele Moto on Tatooine being her amazing self. Din visits her in search of a new memory chip for IG-11. She doesn't have the parties looking for and instead sells him R5-D4. Din, Grogu, and R5 fly off to Mandalore during the celebration of Boonta Eve. I find it interesting you bring up Boonta Eve because that was my first note. Oh, really? Yes. Were you hoping that we were going to see like some kind of pod racing instead of like some what appears to be street speeder racing? Well, it seems like a it seems like a racing centric holiday. Yeah, I just Googled really fast to see what Boonta Eve actually is. Yeah, it's just a festival in canon, but it looks like a big one. Obviously, we've got the we've got the racing in the streets. We've got the the pod racing from Phantom Menace. But at least canonically, we don't actually know what this holiday is supposed to be celebrating. There is a Legends explanation, uh, but I'm not going to get into that. Canon, we don't know. But yes, this is Boonta Eve. This is the same even, This is the same race that Anakin wins right. 50 years, 40 years previously. And, you know, maybe they're maybe they're just saving it for, like, the Book of Boba Fett Season 2 or something where they start off the season with him at a pod race event of some kind, and he's overseeing it like Jabba did and, you know, the Phantom to menace it'll be a similar situation maybe that's what they're saving i don't know possibly i hope we get a book of boba fett season two because i'd like to dive more into the culture of tatooine because it's set up really interestingly in season one but yeah that would be a good place to do things like this so i'm not going to go through every single performer in this episode there are 10 different yeah there's 10 different stunt performers in this episode if you include the two guys who are in the mando suit uh, there are 10 we're not going to go through all of them but i did want to shout out the rodian being played by a woman named Dawn Denninger. Dawn Denninger is going to show up a couple of times this season. She's mainly a special effects fabricator, which is part of the reason I bring this up because I have no idea what a special effects fabricator is. Based on my conversations with a friend of mine who wants to work in prop, as well as just Googling, it seems like, and also based on the fact that she works in costuming, so she's the specialty costume manufacturer for the first season of The Mandalorian, it seems like she works in the department that actually makes the props like that's her thing so she's actually inside the Rodian suit for this episode and I think she might also be providing the voice at least IMDB doesn't differentiate so I thought that was pretty cool I'm not gonna go through everybody else that's in suits in this episode worth IMDBing and looking them up but I wanted to shout her out specifically my next note is uh this is the funniest shit in the season for sure. Uh, <laughs> the fact that I love that we've, we've reverted to this idea of Pelly's like, all right, I'm going to start scamming people <laughs> because <laughs> she she just there's something about working with Jawas that like we know that they're clearly like, oh, like I'm going to strip this ship over here and then like sell you back your own parts. Like, I love that she's like working with them. She's so smart. And she's just like, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm going to these people at Tatooine have no idea what's hitting them. If Din Djarin doesn't know he's in a Star Wars and is playing everything completely straight, Pelimoto's on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. She is 100% aware 
aware she is in a Star Wars. And she has just decided to roll with it and have as much fun as possible. Oh my god. Her thing of, well, I gotta go to the mid-rim and I gotta put a rush order on the part, so I'm gonna need to have a friend. I'm like, that's incredible. I love this. I love everything about this. And it leads into my theory that they gave her the script with just the key words, like mid-rim and spare parts. And then that was it. <laughs> like everything else is like fabricated. <laughs> She's just making it up. Yeah, making up as she goes. Well, it's interesting because after she, you know, kicks the Rodian out and they're going to put the parts back in and Din lands uh, and Grogu like leaps over uh, she, she's like, where'd you learn to leap like a Lerman, is one thing she said. We have seen Lerman before. They are the monkey things from, I think, season one of Clone Wars, from the episodes Defenders of Peace, I think, with, it's the one that has, you won't remember this, Bradley, because it's been a while since you've seen Clone Wars, but there's an episode where they, like, crash land on a planet, and they find this village of, like, monkey people, like, lemur people, which is Lerman, where that name comes from, and the Separatists are also testing a weapon that can destroy destroy organic matter but leave droids unharmed called the uh the defoliator ah, is how it is. said <laughs> and i believe the villain in that episode is being voiced by george takai it's it's honestly a better episode than it has any right to be oh my god now i want george takai to show up in like book of boba fett season two as like just like a random ass tattooing person why hasn't george takai been in a, a star Wars? i don't know because he would visual. fit in perfectly with the like, Moto character the major domo character like they all kind of like work together in a fun like way and i kind of want that oh my god i also desperately want that uh i didn't notice initially in the scene or when i for the first two times i watched this episode but the third time which is when i watched it to take note i did notice the jawas have little like mardi gras beads around their necks i did not notice that at all yeah that's go hilarious. back and look at it again they have like celebratory streamers that are uh, around like their necks that's hilarious that's that's hilarious peli motor mentions that r5 used to work for the rebellion. Ooh, maybe this will come up later in the show. Maybe this will come up. R5 is one of the favorite characters for writers to just write weird shit about. In Legends, R5 is force sensitive. What the fuck? Yep. In the epi in the uh Infinity story. Okay. Oh, I didn't realize I forgot this was Infinities. So R5 is force sensitive in, I guess, a non-canonical legend story, but everybody just kind of assumes okay. <laughs> that it it was. Legends canon is very complicated and weird and nebulous uh but the most famous story about this is my correcting myself on the air it looks like the most famous story about r5 which is skippy the jedi droid was in fact not even canonical to legends but yeah in legends uh or at least there was legends material that suggested he was force sensitive in canon we don't know a lot about him although he does have a short story in um from a certain point of view that does confirm that he blows his motivator on purpose oh okay i didn't know that was canon now but so that's that's definitely a canon story. that is definitely canon that he blows oh, his motivator cool. on purpose i like uh, that it is it is in the short a short story from uh from a certain point of view uh called the red one oh, I so love that. highly recommend highly recommend reading from a certain point of view it's very good we will see r5's rebellion connections again later in the season
Uh, my final note for this section is uh, fucking beautiful as yeah, they just pull away the fireworks, yeah. with the fireworks. Just a really, really beautiful looking scene. I just, I love that. I, I do love it. It was perfect for the trailer too because like it gave you a sense of like, oh wow, this is going to be a fun, gorgeous season. And then like they have this little clip. I almost wish they had more with it, but it was, it was, it was really pretty. Like I just love seeing Grogu's like amazement of, or awe, like whenever he sees the fireworks. And I, on a side note though, is it not dangerous to fly through fireworks? <laughs> It is incredibly dangerous to fly through fireworks, uh, but Dennis doing it anyway for the aesthetic, Bradley. That's for the visual aesthetic. <laughs> yes, I also forgot to say uh, title card, chapter 18, The Minds of Mandalore. Uh, so just I forgot to say that in our first little bit. Well, so what do you think? What do you think The Minds of Mandalore is going to be about, Charles? You think they're going to go somewhere this episode? I think they might go to a location, possibly <laughs> the the mines, the mines of Moria, perhaps. Ah, uh, that would make yeah. a lot Den of sense. Den fights a Balrog. I'm also, I'm also waiting for them to just say in the episode, The Minds of Mandalore, so we can roll the credits you know that i feel like that'll be an easy just quick moment in this show you can't see it because we don't release these videos to the public but i'm i just the minute bradley said roll the credits i just started giving him a death glare let's actually get into this the group arrives on the crystallized surface of mandalore where r5 is sent out to scout ahead to ensure that the atmosphere is not toxic when r5 stops responding din goes after him in some caves when he is suddenly attacked by several troll-like species living in the caves after scaring them off din heads back to the ship and runs the data R5 collected to determine that the air is non-toxic. So I like how Den sort of already teaching Grogu uh, a big underlying thing of how this, re this relationship between Den and Grogu has changed in between seasons is previously Den was just kind of teaching Grogu things as necessary. Like, I need you to fix this, so I'm going to tell you how to do it. Now he's actively mentoring Grogu. He's actively trying to teach him things, uh, which I think is very cool. So that, I love that scene. I love that nice little moment. My next note is, oh, the fusion bombs did a number on this place when they break through the clouds, and it's it's yeah. just fucked up. Yeah, that, that planet, uh, although vis aesthetically, it looks really fucking cool with all the crystals and everything. Like, it's just... Oh, I fucking love how it looks. It looks so much... <laughs> Hot take, it looks so much more visually interesting now than it did in Clone Wars and Rebels. Yeah, because I think what I remember from Rebels, at least, like, I only remember white. Like, the dome. Yeah, it's like all white. Yeah, and everything's like in the domes. Yeah. And it's just like white. And they do some kind of interesting stuff with the canyons, but sort of the point of Mandalore, at least in Clone Wars and, and Rebels, was that Mandalore has undergone so much war that nothing ever grew back there. Got which, it. on that, we'll come back to that in the season finale. Uh, but the idea is that because the planet's in constant warfare, it basically had all life wiped off of it by the Jedi uh, outside of the domed cities. And now nothing has ever grown back. Uh, and it's just kind of like void up until that point. But yeah, I think it looks really interesting now visually. It's a shame it had to get bombed to hell for that to happen. Countless trillions of people died. I mean, just for aesthetics, the Empire really goes there. <laughs> the Empire really values aesthetics above all human lives. Uh, the fact that R5 is a fucking coward is so funny to me. 
it plays on the whole like C-3PO was the kind of scared droid character. And then now it's like, okay, well, we have to have that back. So it's like if you took C-3PO's personality, like scaredy cat personality, and you put it into R2's body, that's what you get. I, I love this. I love this whole character. I, too, would be terrified to go out on this blasted hellscape planet. Exactly. And I also love that the personality, it works with the dynamic of Grogu and Din as like a family unit. It. like they have to have their their scaredy cat droid dog basically like that's what yeah. we're missing from this little group <laughs> you we're, we're, we're missing a droid yeah we're, we're missing, missing a, droid. A, a droid companion we're always missing a droid companion and we're always missing a droid companion i love that they finally have given din a droid companion as r5 and the thing i like about r5 too and i i brought this point up a bit talking to somebody in episode about episode eight the thing i like about r5 is that if you know who r5 is like if you saw this droid in a new hope you're like oh that's the droid from a new hope if you have no idea if you're only watching the mandalorian you don't need to know who he is like bo katan whenever bo katan comes in they they had to sort of bend over backwards to kind of give us a truncated version of her history so we can explain who this person is and why this person is important we don't have to do that with r5 r5 can just be a droid you don't even have to know it's the same r5 unit from a new hope and i do really dig that and that's what's funny because my my friend who is watching all these for the first time has no idea who R5 is because they don't watch they've they've seen the movies they don't remember you know what I mean like right. they're a very casual very casual viewer and they did not know that this is the same droid from A New Hope like they just thought this was just a random ass astromech droid that he just randomly gets in this episode and I thought that was so funny because you're right the regular the casual viewer doesn't know who R5 is but now does and is like oh my god I love that personality of that droid like it's such a cute thing to add yeah if you're like my age if you're in your 30s and you know you haven't watched really sat down and watched a new hope since college because everything is going to hell and capitalism is bad and you have to spend all of your time working then yeah you're probably not gonna remember who this droid is but if you do it's rewarding for the viewers so put it put a pen to in in the concept of most people who are watching the show or at least this show is written with the understanding that most people watching it are not going to really remember other Star Wars media because that's going to come up again at the end of the episode. My next note is R.I.P. Mandalore when he sees the the Civic Center. Yeah, because well, that's what I like about what they've done in this show is that we've seen these places in the Clone Wars and now you're kind of seeing what it looks like now and you're just like, oh, damn, that's uh, that's the same place in that episode. <laughs> yep. If it's if it's your first time, I do believe that if this is your first time if you're watching everything in chronological order this may be the first time we see the inside of Sundari uh since the lawless no since siege of mandalore sorry since the siege of mandalore uh you haven't seen this place since they took it back from mole like right. i don't think we ever went inside Sundari during rebels yeah i think that i think i saw like a side-by-side -side visual somebody put like look it's like super active and it's like a full-on basically like a city just going you know having a good tap good ass time essentially and then then you just see these ruins of like it looks like a zombie like apocalypse happened here yeah and bo-katan will note later in the episode or den will note somebody will 
will note later in the episode that like people were there like 20 years ago like less than that and it looks like a like hundred years 15 ago years yeah. ago and it looks like the place has been deserted right. for centuries right which is how badly the empire bombed it uh, multiple times actually as we find out uh the night of a thousand tears and the purge are two different times and the purge they bombed mandalore multiple they did multiple rounds of bombing just to make a hundred percent sure so when dennis fighting the sort of troll things they're called alamite uh, when he's fighting the alamites i think it's important to note that he is still very bad with the dark saber it looks a little heavy to him. Yeah. He's like, he's a little, he's struggling a little bit with that sword. So maybe the implication here is that he just, he, he doesn't have the ability to connect with the dark saber. The dark saber may not be best suited in his hands. Maybe we so. may come back to this maybe later. Come back episode. to this later. <laughs> he gets, uh, he rescues R5 and then he, he has a couple of interesting lines when he discovers that the, the planet is habitable. Uh, the first is that the charts were wrong, which leads me to believe that, again, we talked at the top of the episode about how the armor and Bo-Katan kind of inadvertently arrived at the same place. I think Bo-Katan was operating off of charts and readings that uh, said that the planet was uninhabitable because she always refers to the planet as poison, whereas the armorer probably got the same charts and readings or got it filtered down to her through someone. And because she was leaning super hard into the children of the Watt, oh, the planet must be cursed. Right. Yeah. Like if you go there, you're going to die because it all the bad stuff that happened. All there, the bad, right? like yeah. mm-hmm. all the bad vibes in the air will kill you. Din discovering that, that this place is not cursed that everything he has taught about this specific thing is wrong this is the first direct time that Din Djarin has provably been wrong about something because even when Bo-Katan took her helmet off and he realized there were other Mandalorians who were Mandalorian who weren't doing things the way that the children of the watch do that wasn't a direct challenge to his belief that wasn't directly saying this rigidity this like you have to stay on this path no exceptions everything the way says is correct this is the way has never directly been challenged to be wrong or proven to be wrong before and here's the first instance where no they're wrong the planet is not cursed right you can go back right and from both sides it's it's not that not only that it's not cursed it's literally not even poisoned like it's they're scientifically like it's not right unsafe to be here they were all lied to by moff gideon all of them right it's just imperial propaganda yeah yeah they were lied to in different ways but they were all lied to and i think this is such an important moment too when it comes to den beginning to accept Bo-Katan and her faction of Mandalorians as Mandalorian. Because remember, all the way back when he met them, his initial reaction was, there's only one way, the way of the Mandalorian. If you don't follow it, you're not Mandalorian. And I don't think he really even refers to Bo-Katan and her people as Mandalorian in the second season. I do think this is the start of when he's... Like, even when he shows up in episode one and he's like, hey, I need to, I want to join you to retake Mandalore. He's not really interested in her retaking it. He's interested in it being retaken. Now he's like, oh, oh, we were wrong about something. What else might we potentially be wrong about? But I also think it's important that he, you know, we've established, and this is why Book of Boba Fett is important. Guys who skipped Book of Boba Fett or said Book of Boba Fett didn't have an impact. The scene in Book of Boba Fett, the season finale, where Boba asked, 
asks Din, do you really believe in all of that stuff? And Din's like, yes. And Boba's like, good. It's very important for Din's character because even when specific beliefs are challenged, he never loses his faith in the creed, which I do think is an important aspect of his character that's really coming into play here. Do you have anything to say on that, Bradley? Or, or you, you just want to move on? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, you said, you pretty much said it all. I don't really have much else to say. Grogu and Din head off into the mines of Mandalore. Deep below the surface, Din is captured by a cyborg-like creature. Grogu tries to free him, but is unsuccessful. Din sends Grogu to get Bo-Katan for help. Grogu heads back to the ship and has R5 fly him to the moon of Concordia, where Bo-Katan lives. So I only have have two notes for this sequence uh, up until they land at the castle. I assume you're you're going up until he lands at the castle. You're not correct. All right. I, I actually have four notes for this section. Uh, the first is, what in the Horizon Zero Dawn? I fucking hate that thing. Because <laughs> it reminds um, me of the weird so mechanized dinosaurs from Horizon. I have no idea what that you franchise have no idea. is. So, yeah. That was my first thought, was it reminds me of the weird mechanized dinosaurs from Horizon Zero Dawn. It gave me more like mall spider body vibes. Uh, that's okay. what I was getting from it. Although somebody pointed out to me that it could conspiracy theory they thought this was supposed to be general grievous and i was oh like oh my god no, no, no i don't he's love that dead, guys. i don't love that he's super because if he's gonna come back i want him to come back like i don't want him to be some weird fucking spider thing i want him to be fucking general grievous i don't want him to be a weird spider thing. oh my god yeah i fucking hate this spider thing it scares the shit out of me oh no it's terrifying can't and do it. disgusting and i also love that it has two kind of bodies like it has a mecha suit it has and then three. it also has a, oh three i'm sorry there's a third one there's a third one that we find out later but yeah it like has like it's i'm not gonna say humanoid because it's definitely not humanoid but it has it's like regular kind of everyday walk around with a staff kind of body then it has its giant mecha body that it uses to explore i don't even know what it's doing here honestly like can we talk about that for a second what the fuck is it doing here it's just vibing where did it come from what is it doing here why does it exist this would be a great thing for like a mandalorian comic to explain yeah or like like a novel set on mandalore uh to explain but we don't have these things for some reason so no we have no explanation on this Fuck you, I that's why. It. I love it and it's terrifying. My next note is uh the this is when when Grogu is is doing Mr. Grogu's wild ride. I was like, this is this is amazing. I, I love everything about Mr. Grogu's wild ride. I almost want them to do a whole entire episode from Grogu's per- perspective where like he does this, his own solo adventure by himself. It would be in the vein of this. It would be so fucking funny. Oh my god, yes. Yeah, like through Imperial Eyes, but for Grogu. That was the the episode of Rebels where uh, the Callus was the protagonist of it. And they uh. actually have an opening scene. The opening scene of it is, is first person. That whole episode was supposed to be first person but they they couldn't make it work but yeah there's a whole episode from Cal's point of view i would love to see an entire episode from grogu's point of view like all the interesting stuff is happening just off camera and grogu's staring at a berry a bunch of berries for like five minutes because he wants the berries that yeah i think it'd be hilarious. so cute to have him have his own little adventures maybe even on like it maybe there's a like you could make it a whole entire thing where you know mando drops him off at pelimoto's and then like he goes on an adventure on tatooine by himself like she loses him and she has to try to get him back and like she can't find him like it'd be so funny and then like at the end she just pretends like they were hanging out the whole time and nothing happened. wasn't there an episode of pokemon that did that there was a short uh a, it's like a mini movie that happened at the beginning of 
every Pokemon movie, and there was one where the they do it from the Pokemon's perspective. They leave them at like a go, spring like a or something, like yeah, a camp they leave or them something. By themselves. Yep. It's like Pikachu's big adventure by himself or whatever. Yeah, and it's I all the know. Pokemon together, and they do like a little thing where they lose. I think they lose Togepi or something, and then they have to go get her. It's, it's like a whole thing. Uh huh. You know, for for a guy who literally, I'm I'm sitting here with my Gengar uh, coaster that my coffee is currently resting on, and like we have a giant Gengar sign on our apartment door for a guy with as much pokemon merch in his house as i have i know very little about pokemon after the original 151 pokemon i just don't care i just don't acknowledge any of the ones after gen one all 899 of them i'm not learning that bradley (laughs) i refuse i refuse and i see people online all the time and it's not just like kids that are grabbing like their first Pokemon game. It's people that are like my age who were like nine or 10 or actually younger. I was like seven or eight when Pokemon started coming out. People who are my age are like, oh, I really love uh, Krakosaur or whatever from Gen 5. And I'm like, the fuck is that? How do you rem- how do you remember all of these Pokemon, but you can't remember to text a guy back? I mean, I know almost ev- like well, all one thousand and ten Pokemon, but I can't learn another language, so I don't know what's wrong with <laughs> oh, America. Oh, you're one of those people. It. Okay, that's what's wrong with America. How do you remember right a thousand plus Pokemon, but you can't right. get a boyfriend? Yeah, see, it doesn't make sense. America, there's something wrong with America. Has a problem, and that's what it <laughs> Maybe is. Maybe there's something wrong with you. No, I think it's just America, not me. Uh huh. Uh huh. All right. Well, I'm going to be stubborn in my refusal to ever. That was like part of the big reason I picked up Pokemon Go, too, because I was like, oh, yay, it's the original 151. It's going to be a bunch of Pokemon. I actually know. And it's also the last time any of us felt happiness was that summer. So everything went downhill after that. Speaking of things going downhill, Mr. Grogu's wild ride hops over to uh, back to Kalevala. Where we see that Bo-Katan does in fact just spend all day sulking on her throne, which I found immensely funny. Now I tried to look up who's voicing the droid. This is my final note. I tried to look up yeah. who's voicing the droid in this episode. It's not listed anywhere. Mm. It's not listed on the the IMDb. The Gonk Droid is being played by someone. The Gonk Droid is being played by Joe Osmond, apparently. Joe Osmond, who plays the Gonk Droid, has apparently appeared in some Star Wars before as a Jawa and the Gonk Droid. Appeared in the Book of Boba Fett and Obi-Wan Kenobi. There you uh, go. And also has a Disney trifecta. Oh. Because she was in Captain Marvel and Dumbo and The Mandalorian. There so you go. I'm glad I clicked on that. Yeah. Uh, just to confirm that that was not, in fact, the uh, the voice of the droid at Castle Kreese. So good work, Joe Osmond. Sorry I, I almost missed you, but congratulations on your Disney trifecta. Anyway, moving on. Couldn't find who's voicing the droid. So... If anybody knows who voiced this droid that serves Bo-Katan, let me know, because I couldn't find it anywhere. At Castle Kreese, Bo-Katan sees Manda's ship arriving and goes to tell him off when she only sees Grogu and knows something is wrong. She gets in her ship and heads off to the mines of Mandalore. The pair travel deep down into the mines to confront the cyborg. Bo-Katan uses the Darksaber to defeat him and kill it, saving Din. Yeah, so they fly in and we get to see, in all of its glory, the ruins of Sundari, which we did see in the trailer, but R.I.P. to Sundari. That sucks. Bo-Katan, as they're walking along through the mines, Bo-Katan mentions that there was a time that the Mandalorians and the Jedi got along quite well. 
a little nod to Clone Wars, and it does reward you if you've seen these things. Yes, you'll immediately know, okay, she's probably talking about Ahsoka. She's also probably talking about Obi-Wan Kenobi. You know, I also just realized something, too. Does she know that Grogu knows Ahsoka? Yes, she was the one who told them oh, to... Oh, that's right. She's that's right. clearly she in them. contact yeah, yeah. with Ahsoka. Right, right, right. Yeah, she's clearly in contact with Ahsoka, so... Hmm. Now, I'm, now I'm wondering if she'll show up in Ahsoka, like, just as, like, a little... I would, I would like to see her sort of mentioned in Ahsoka. If that not, would to be just nice. update us because they were friends. Yeah. Uh, I like how we're already seeding the idea with the Alamites and stuff that things have survived the the purge of Mandalore. Uh, didn't realize at the time that this was seeding that idea, but it does make something we discover later on a lot more less coming the fuck out of nowhere. Certain things that were beneath the ground uh, survive. Bombings. Right. So do we know, do these Alamites, were they there before or were they there only I think after? she says they were there before and they, they started coming up after. Like they were Got deeper it. They down. were kind of awoken or maybe they were just they like were, in caves only. They were disrupted Got by it. the bombing. Okay. That a lot of things were disrupted by the bombings. We're going to find out later in the ah, episode. Yes. So they head down there. Bo fights the thing. Bo picks up the Darksaber to fight the thing. Uh, my boyfriend who I watched this season with... He immediately, this was the moment he said he immediately clocked that she was going to get the Darksaber back on a bullshit technicality. Uh, (laughs) He's like, the minute she picked that up, he was like, she's going to get that back. And it's going to be like some bullshit technicality that she gets it back on because of this moment right here where she picks up the Darksaber. But also notice she's really good with the Darksaber. Right. Interesting how it looks like she wields it with such technique and uh, almost like if she's used it before. Uh, Almost like she has wielded it before and trained with it and connects with the blade whereas Din has no idea what he's doing and is not suited to that sort of leadership role or to wield that metaphorical power right funny how that works uh I really do hate the the gross fucking crab thing everything about it sucks and I hate it in a good way in a good way yeah <laughs> like congratulations you did your job but I, I really fucking hate it and I'm glad it's dead I also just want to know I love the return of the shield um that's one of my favorite yes. things about Bo-Katan I just love the shield yes the shield will be important later after the fight Din wakes up to find Bo-Katan and Grogu by the fire Din tells her he cannot leave without redeeming himself she reluctantly leads him to the living waters while also revealing personal truths along the way Din immerses himself to restore his status as Mandalorian, but a sudden drop-off causes him to sink deep into the water. Bo-Katan dives in to save him, and on the way back up, she comes face-to-face with a mythosaur. Yes! I find it interesting that Bo-Katan gave Din the Darksaber back. Yeah, she just kind of hands it to him, like, casually. Like, it's not even like a... Well, it's in his stuff. She puts it with his stuff, and there's a shot of him putting it back on his belt that it's just, it's with his stuff. Like, she doesn't... She has the opportunity to take it and hold on to it here, and she doesn't. Yeah, it is kind of a little weird. Also, is it? it's really not that weird, because we have established, in the last episode at least, that she has given up on the whole leading Mandalore thing. So she doesn't really care. That's my next note, and that segues really well into it, actually, is that... Bo-Katan at this point has no faith in anything at all. She has completely lost her faith in herself. She's lost her faith in Mandalore. She's lost her faith in the Mandalorians uh, and in the Darksaber. Uh, she she just picks it up and uses it like any other, it, like borrowing any of other Den's weapons and then gives it back to him because why does she care? Everything she says in this about, Den basically says, you were right, the planet's not cursed. And she's like, is it though? Because everything around here sucks. 
Like, nothing about this is good. Like, she really does genuinely have no reason to continue on with doing what she's doing. Uh, and I, I do find it interesting that she relinquishes the Darksaber here. And she almost kind of goes along with Din, sort of a, okay, you're stupid, you went the wrong way, you got yourself captured, I will help you just because I'm here. <laughs> The direction they went with her character this season is very interesting. Shockingly good. Yeah, too. I I like the dichotomy of someone who is being dependent on faith and like trying to restore their actual status in a faith-based system and someone who genuinely is like, nothing matters. Like, I literally have lost all hope on just about anything. And the di- the dynamics between the two, both trying to like, accomplish something is just really interesting what's really interesting is that that den has a line a little bit later in the scene where where he's sort of explaining like to him the creed is the reason that they survive and this is season three does this thing where i guess the writers realize that they accidentally wrote all of the cult stuff in the first two and a half seasons and didn't write any of the stuff that is the reason that this faith exists like they focused so much on the cult-like aspects of it that they were like, "Oh shit, we haven't established very much about this actual religion. Uh, we got to right. do that." Which would make Everybody it seem like a cult. It's a cult. Yeah. So he brings up the fact that the creed and hanging on to the creed is part of the only reason that the Mandalorians survive, or at least their covert survive. And I think we do see later in the season, or it's even mentioned in in episode one, as soon as the Mandalorians that were following Bo-Katan lost their faith, i.e., she did not come back with the dark and she did not come back with the story of defeating Moff Gideon and taking the Darksaber back. They melted away. And while they continue to call themselves Mandalorians, they're no longer acting like. And Din's argument is, well, holding to some sort of tradition, holding to some sort of sense of identity is what kept the Mandalorian culture alive. And I'm like, yeah, it's, I want to say it's run like a cult because it's run like a cult. But Din's also right in that somebody holding on to this will allow it to spread back out. And we're going to see throughout the season the way at which the Mandalorian culturally come together is really, really interesting in terms of how they end up taking some of the best aspects of both groups and combining them together. I think that is is really, really neat where this is going. And it really kind of starts here with this conversation between Den and Bo-Katan, where he's kind of explaining that, you know, the creed is, the creed is important. The creed is what has kept our people alive throughout this period of diaspora. So I just think it's, this season has no business being as interesting as it is because of all the stuff that's going to happen in this season. It should be so shallow and dumb, but there's some really neat stuff happening with the writing here. You can make pog soup. Starwars.com put out a recipe for pog soup. Okay, what's, do, I we, do we know what it is? Oh, we didn't look it up. Okay. Let, let me Google it. This is the just thing Charles quick. didn't receive. Yeah, just so real if you're quick, only I'm joining just very us curious. for Mandalorian, yeah. Soup recipe. If you're only joining us for the Mandalorian, there's usually one thing that Charles will fuck the course of the episode. I caught mine this time, which was R5 in Legends wasn't even force sensitive. That was an infinity story. Uh, and this is the thing Charles didn't research, aka the thing he forgot to Google before we started the episode. It is a vegetable soup. Pog soup is a vegetable soup. Uh, it is bell peppers, onions, carrots, garlic, um, and then a bunch of different curry powder, mitts, ginger, all of that. You you can Google the recipe, but it it's kind of bell pepper based. I really should try it. I'm gonna go to the. I'm gonna go, after we record this. I'm gonna go to the gym, and then I'm gonna go to the store, and I might see if my boyfriend wants to try pog soup. Yeah, let us know uh, next week I, if I'll, you I'll, ever make if you make it. It won't be. It probably won't be next week because we're we're all super busy. But maybe before the end of the Mandalorian, I'll try pog soup. 
Okay. And Sounds we'll good. see. We'll see how it actually is. So they're walking, they're walking through the mines. They're having a conversation, and Bo Katan tells a story about her father. Interesting. Which Duke Adonai Kreese, who is the gentleman being referenced, uh, basically has only been named in one place. It's Star Wars Build the Millennium Falcon 32, Guide to the Galaxy, the History of Mandalore. It's like in a random magazine somewhere is where he got named. We don't know anything about him other than what is said in this episode. He seems to have ruled from Mandalore. We do know that eventually there was a war that was fought to put someone on the throne it's hard to say whether or not he died presumably he died in this war or his death kicked this war off but it seems like he ruled from sundari so it seemed like the creases were actually the royal family pre-mandalorian civil war which is Got interesting it. you know this is this is the first first information we're really getting about adonai crease other than the fact that he existed no mention of satine crease she doesn't bring up Satine at all. Uh, she's mostly bringing up her father because that's the memory she associates with the Minds of Mandalore is going down there with her father. The Satine thing, okay, so I'll address this now. I've been telling people like, oh, I'm not going to talk about this because I want to talk about it on the show. Two things can exist simultaneously. I do want some reference to Satine Kreese having ruled Mandalore before Bo-Katan did because she was the... Well, it was Satine Kreese, and then, what's his name? Almer, Almer, Almec. Prime Minister Almec ruled after, with Previsa briefly in the middle there. Uh, anyway, I wanted some reference to Satine. However, I do acknowledge that if, if you're the kind of person who's never watched a Star Wars before, trying to bring up the complicated history of the leaders of Mandalore is going to be really confusing for you. Especially when there's really no reason to bring it up other than for its own sake. That's the issue that I have have is that usually when something is brought up like you know a cameo is had or something is mentioned in the context of this story it has to inform the story in some way and Satine was such a controversial leader that I feel like her being mentioned or focus being put on her would detract from this season's overall theme of Bo-Katan figuring out how to unite the clans and to be a a good unifying leader for Mandalore because she kind of brings up the focus is more on Bo-Katan and the story that she's had and I do feel like if they had tried to bring Satine up and explain Satine it would have confused Mandalorian history for the viewers now I'd like to see some supplemental material that delves more into where Bo-Katan is now at with her sister but I do think that looking at the season as a whole it would have unnecessarily complicated the backstory of Mandalore to get into all the previous rulers I think so and also you don't want to get into the whole messy situation of you know she was a teen mother and she <laughs> had a, a child that was illegitimate and the throne or something that secretly is there's, now her there's cousin potentially a, yep. like a bastard heir to the throne yeah, bastard heir to the throne that may or may not show up later in the season but whatever but you know yes uh no i <laughs> yeah it's it's complicated because you know i love satine Kreese, but i do acknowledge from a writing standpoint i can see why they wouldn't have included her at right. all in the season and really we don't get a lot of bo-katan bo-katan is not somebody who spills her backstory easily so she also really only mentions adonai this one time this mm -hmm. is the only time she's going to mention adonai also worth noting that like there's a whole thing about them losing mandalore um when they lost mandalore after satine died uh they had well they never really lost mandalore they took it back from maul's puppet government and that's the point where we pick up with bo-katan so 
I, yeah, I would have liked to have at least one mention of Satine, but really diving into like her as a component of Bo's backstory probably would have confused the season and it probably would have confused people who'd been like, who is that? The father makes an easy, uncomplicated figure for us to have one little endearing story. About. Right, right. Yeah, because I think her her sister relationship is too complicated. So it, it's hard to do that storyline and go through all the episodes of Clone Wars and all the stuff, whereas the unbeknown to us before this father you know that's barely mentioned that's easy to just be like oh yeah i had a dad one time that you know was once a ruler i guess at some point and was like oh yeah he was proud of me like that's it like and also the whole point of the scene is for her to eventually say her dad dies defending mandalore and den says this is the way and bo kind of has a moment hot take you can't really do that with satine and the reason you can't really do that with satine is because satine's downfall and death is so complicated that it's not clear-cut it's not easy you know debates rage on to this day as to whether or not Satine was a good ruler, whether or not the takeover of her planet by Death Watch was in part due to her own negligence, or was it Maul's interference, or was it always going to happen? There's, there's so many questions, and it's such a loaded topic. It wouldn't have worked for this scene. I wonder, really I wonder if they're saving it, because... I do it, wonder if it's going to be in season four, because yeah. we are getting a season four. I do wonder if they will mention Satine later on, now that we have firmly established Mandalore, that, oh, my sister also used to rule, or this right. is the throne my sister ruled from. Well, and also that, you know, the armor comes from the Death Watch section, and then, like, you know, Bo is, like, the opposite of that, so it's interesting that their work, well, not to spoil anything moving forward, but, you know, that the, where the story goes in the end, it, it's interesting the dynamics there, and I wonder if they'll bring up the complicated history that the two pair have with each other later on. Right. I also think it's interesting to look at, like, Bo-Katan's journey versus Satine's journey, because Satine was very much, you know, she had some good policies like, hey, all of this constant civil war is destroying our people. We need to stop fighting each other. Uh, but Satine was also very disrespectful of, I would say, disrespectful of any traditionalist viewpoint that didn't align with her. So she was very much like, we need to move on, we need to move on, we need to move on. And part of that was good. Exiling Death Watch was a good thing because they wanted to continue fighting. Uh, but I also feel like she threw the baby out with the bathwater a little bit. And she was like, no, everybody's got to be pacifist. Uh, this is how we're doing things from here on out. We're not, I'm not brokering any sort of disagreement with that. Whereas Bo-Katan, having walked both paths, is more in a position to understand how important those traditional beliefs can be to a group like the Children of the Watch, while also understanding the difference between that and something like Death Watch, which is just a conservative political faction. It's complicated and it would really need its own episode entirely to talk about the politics of the Mandalorian rulers. Uh, I also I just... think it would be interesting if they decided to just maybe bring up that whole stuff maybe in Kenobi season two if we do a few flashbacks with uh, Nicole Kidman they, and just say they did hey, say they're you not know, doing here's... a Kenobi season two I'm joking um, but also do, do a Nicole Mandalorian Kidman Civil War show also yes Nicole Kidman should play Duchess City and Kreese. yeah so just throwing that out there for Disney and Marvel and never, or not Marvel uh, fucking uh, Lucasfilm yeah. uh, I mean, like, I'll hey, guys. Marvel anywhere near Star Wars right now yeah no thank you um, but anyway we gotta move on we have got desperately to move on yeah we will I'm sure talk about Duchess Satine Kreese and all of the positive things she did and all of the mistakes that were made uh, at some point in the future. I'm sure this will come up throughout this season because Bo-Katan does stand as a interesting contrast to her sister, but we do desperately need to move on. Uh, they get into the minds of Mandalore and lol, it's a tourist trap. 
It reminds me. So when this episode came out, I was I was talking in the Divas Discord and I was like, yeah, this whole scene reminded me of that time I drank from the Fountain of Youth in terms of it being this whole sort of tourist trap that you go into and stuff happens. And then I tried to move on from this statement and several people were like, whoa, 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 we need to wind this back. Um, You drank from the Fountain of Youth? I was like, yeah, when I was like six, it tastes like sulfur. Well, it, it didn't work. Terrible. Zing. Oh, fuck you, Bradley. <laughs> fuck you, Bradley. We can't all perpetually look 23, motherfucker. We can if we actually drink from the Fountain of Youth and it accepts us. So, <laughs> Actually, no, I learned in Pirates of the Caribbean 4, you have to drink from the Fountain of Youth from the Holy Grail. I think that's how it works. Like, So otherwise it doesn't work. It's just a fucking, it's just water. No, we, we went to, uh, I think it's Ponce de Leon in florida or, or somewhere it's relatively close to there uh this was back when you could go to florida uh this was back before florida was a blighted hellscape this was pre-2000 uh when florida was actually pretty cool before it i know it's difficult for people to know now uh but there did used to be a time where florida was actually a pretty okay place to go but yeah we went to the fountain of youth and it was basically the same thing it was like this this pool this sort of fountain that they had little like plastic cups and or little like what is it the paper cups and you could drink a little bit from the fountain of youth tasted terrible that's all i remember about it but this this mind the mandalore scene reminds me of that for sure uh, i think din got a little over his head when he <laughs> decided to show up well then he got like under his head because he falls in which a lot of people are surprisingly mad about right and they're like it, he falls way too fast it doesn't make sense that he wouldn't see the thing and i'm like it, it's moving the plot along just you gotta roll but with it. also he can barely see like he's in this helmet and he can't see anything and also all the stuff's underwater and of course there's gonna be this drop off you don't see necessarily and he just slips and falls like and he's wearing like full beskar plating so like obviously right. he's going to sink like a rock instantly yeah yeah, he's going to go down, like, immediately. Holy shit, a mythosaur is my next note. Right. Uh, also, why is it underwater? Does it need to breathe? Does it sleep underwater? It what, apparently what is... sleeps underwater. <laughs> we'll see later on. Is it an aquatic sleeps? animal now? Like, I'm confused. Like, I, I guess I don't really know the history of the mythosaur, so I don't really know anything about it. Uh, it seems like it is an amphibious animal, uh, which can breathe both air and water. Okay. Uh, it seems like it was hanging out deep beneath Mandalore uh, for hundreds of years. I like uh, it. And, and the bombings uh, fucked up the topography so much that it is now free and able to wander about, mm. uh, which it mostly has simply decided to stay in bed and continue taking a nap, which if I was the mythosaur, same like right. same it's very uh, reminiscent of you know dragon mythology that they slumber for years or something underground oh, yeah. or in caves and it's like oh well no something just disturbed me so now i'm awake <laughs> yep yeah the mythosaur is very like a mythological dragon and that and it harkens back to ancient traditions of you like yeah a monster like that sleeps beneath beneath a body usually bodies of water but like Monsters asleep below bodies of waters or deep within caves and you're not supposed to go in there because you'll wake the monster up, etc, etc. Yeah, it's and it's really interesting that Bo-Katan sees it and not Din. This will have implications because this is a moment where Bo-Katan gets put on the path to where she's going is at the early part of this episode, Din realized that a story he had been told about Mandalore was wrong. And that sets him on his path through the season. Bo-Katan realizes a story that she thought was wrong is actually true, which is an interesting dichotomy for the two characters. 
and then well, yeah it, this sets her on her journey of faith essentially or like faith yes. restoration because she's like oh shit that mythological creature exists like seeing a unicorn being like oh i guess magic does exist or this or magic could exist right. there's there's den has found out there's one thing about his beliefs that are provably wrong Bo has found out there's one thing she thinks is wrong that's provably true so it's like neither of them is exactly correct the children of the watch and their dogmatic adherence to their beliefs and their certainty is wrong but so is bo katan's complete rejection of it which is very interesting and then again yeah she doesn't take her helmet off at the end of the episode right which and may or may end, not have implications we end on a shot of her with her helmet on interesting like and that's where the episode ends uh give us a directed by and written by uh, directed by Rachel Morrison and written by, of course, John Favreau. Now, Rachel Morrison, I looked up because I didn't recognize that name. Um, I believe this is the first episode she's written of uh, The Mandalorian. And directed. she is she's the director oh, of The Mandalorian. Sorry, directed. Um, this is the first episode she's directed. Uh, so far, she's, she's one of our newer uh, directors and she previously has directed shows like The Morning Show, American Crime Story uh, or Quantico. So, yeah, that's pretty uh, much you are skipping over the vast, vast majority of her incredibly impressive resume because Rachel Morrison is not generally a director. Yes, I, I was focusing on her directing debuts, but you're right. She is a cinematographer and she has that a lot a primary of thing. interesting uh, things such as Black Panther and uh, other things that other people things. Know. <laughs> She's the, the cinematographer of Fruitvale Station. Gotcha. Uh, I'm seeing if there's anything else on here that I recognize. But yes, she's a cinematographer for Black Panther. That's the big important the one, big one, which is kick-ass. So she's she cool. only just recently started directing. Back in 2015, mm. she started directing TV episodes. Uh, so it looks like she's primarily a cinematographer. And then obviously written by Jon Favreau because fucking everything in the season was written by Jon Favreau, with the exception of episode three and episode five. I, I also do find it interesting that she directed this episode. She's mostly a cinematographer. I do find that interesting because most of this episode takes place in a dark mine. So I find that very interesting because that's something hard to light necessarily. You know, sometimes when you're watching these shows, sometimes it can be considered dark. Uh, I never had that problem in this episode. So I find that interesting that they chose a cinematographer or someone who mostly does cinematography to work on an episode that is primi primarily darkened lighting. Yes, I think that it's, it's probably why this episode is the way it is. Yeah, is because they had somebody who understands cinematography because it would have been very, very easy to fuck up all the dark stuff under Mandalore. Mm -hmm. And so having somebody in the director's chair who knows how the cinematography is going to work. The right. cinematographer this episode is a gentleman named David Klein. David Klein is a cinematographer on a lot of stuff. He's the cinematographer on five episodes of The Book of Boba Fett. So he's missing episode two and episode four. He's not the cinematographer, but he is a cinematographer on the rest of it. Uh, he's a cinematographer on 57 episodes of Homeland, Deadwood the movie, Red State the movie, True Blood, Cop Out. He's a cinematographer on. He's a cinematographer on Clerks 2. So he's been doing cinematographies all the way back. Uh, his first cinematographer role was actually the original Clerks in 1994. So he's a, we've got a veteran cinematographer on this, and we've got somebody in the director's chair who's primarily a cinematographer, which is probably why this episode looks as good as it looks. Right. Awesome. Final thoughts on this episode, Bradley? Final thoughts, you know, 
Pelimoto should show up in every Star Wars thing ever. Uh, so far, it's, it's true so far in the TV shows, uh, minus Kenobi, but I consider that its own thing. So in the at least in the Mandoverse, she has shown up in every single Mandoverse project. Um, I'm hoping that she shows up in Ahsoka even briefly, just so that we can keep the connectivity of her showing up in the Mandoverse era. However... You know, that was pretty much my thing. I do think that some of the scenes would have worked, served better uh, in the opening of the previous episode or like connected them a little bit better or done just a two premiere episode. But other than that, um, this was a pretty good episode. It was very action heavy. So there's not, I mean, there's nothing really wrong with that per se, but it's, it did give us, when it wasn't action heavy, it was very good because it did give us a little history of Mandalore. So I did like that. Every time that I've watched, because this is now my third time watching this episode. Uh, every time I have watched it, I have liked it more. I didn't really like it when I first watched it. Then I watched it again with my boyfriend, and I thought it was better having watched it a second time. And now the third time watching it, knowing where the season is going, I'm like, oh, this is a really good step in that. Especially the conversation between Bo-Katan and Din. I keep, I keep calling him Din, and that's not necessarily accurate. I'm going to keep calling him Din because I've been calling him Din since 2020. I'm not about to stop. If you're just joining us, you'll find out what I mean by that in an episode later, a later episode of the season. But yeah, those are my final thoughts on it. Really, really good episode in, in the broader context of the rest of the season. Alrighty. Well, we will be back next week with The Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 3, The Convert, uh, the title of which does not refer to what you would think. In the meantime, pluggables. You can find me on Four Light and Dice, uh, High Republic TTRPG, set, as I said, during the, the High Republic, which I do with Chris from Dark Side Divas, Hope from J Guys and Jedi, Jess from Roof Helps Pod Race, and our friends Colton and Nathan. That is an excellent podcast that you should listen to. You can also check out Queen's Court on Peacock. Bradley was the travel coordinator. Uh, so if you want to know why does Bradley sound like that in all of the Andor episodes, that would be why he sounds like that. So if you like trashy reality television, watch that show. Uh, I'm going to keep promoting it because God knows somebody has to. That's what I'll I probably have something different there. to promote, you know, later on. But uh, for now, that's the only for, thing For I'm now, promoting. we're promoting Queen's Court. Uh, right. So... When summer rolls around, I'll have something else to promote. So that, that'll be the better thing to watch oh 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 interesting <laughs> oh it's still just as bad but it's okay it's, sli- it's, it's slightly just better as trash. Rem- yeah. reminder bradley's day job is that he works on production of trashy reality television of course so if you love that stuff that's i'm, I'm giving you what you want he is giving the people what they want <laughs> and what i want is for you to run the socials thank you for listening to gold squadron gaze did Charles fuck something up? Send us a message at goldsquadrongaze at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at goldsquadgaze. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok at goldsquadrongaze. Subscribe to us on YouTube at goldsquadrongaze, where we post the podcast as well as exclusive content. Please join us next week and every week for more of Gold Squadron Gaze. Because then Bradley just agrees with me and and that makes me feel tingly in my back. I Love that it. could actually be the that could be the I'm in my 30s that actually probably is what the tingling in my back is. <laughs>